Our reading tonight is Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, and that's on page 1184 of the Church Bibles. So that's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A common question that gets asked is, who do you think you are? And people ask it for all sorts of reasons, whether it's... Uh, an indignant kind of tone of voice. Who do you think you are telling me to do such and such a thing? Or whether it's the title of a, a TV series trying to find out people's heritage and history. But there's a lot of obsession at the moment about identity. Um, you can do personality tests to try and work out who you really are, what kind of person you really are, whether that's the Enneagram or whatever kind of gram that you can think of. There are various quizzes you can do online find out which Harry Potter house you're in, or which Jane Austen character you're most like. Uh, even CBeebies seems to have uh, one of those who are you quizzes. Uh, and if you're interested, apparently I am Kyan from the Go-Jetters. <laughs> who knew? But then, perhaps more seriously, uh, people want to identify as something, whether it's a letter of the alphabet, uh, maybe it's as a particular race, uh, maybe there's questions over whether there even is such a thing as race, and there's lots and lots of discussion about that. Um, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a human being. And I think, <laughs> generally, across the world, we just don't seem to know who we are anymore. And sometimes that way of thinking creeps into the church as well. Uh, we forget who we are as Christians, and we start defining ourselves and other people in ways that are sometimes unhelpful. Or perhaps sometimes, as Christians, we mistake our primary identity, as Christians, for, for labels that, that can be helpful but aren't our primary identity. So, for example, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm Reformed, I'm Charismatic, he's a millennial, she's Arminian. And all those kind of labels, they can be quite helpful to kind of be a bit of a shorthand, help us pigeonhole particular points of view on a range of topics. But if you're a Christian, then first and foremost, your identity is to be found in Christ. And the most important thing is that you are a Christian. 
But we often make another mistake when we're thinking about our Christian identity, and that is thinking that it's all about me. Thinking that it's all about me. Christ died for me. I'm forgiven. I get to go to heaven. I can have a clear conscience before God. And all of those things are absolutely true if you're a Christian. Christ died for each one of us individually. But, as well as that, you're saved into a new family. You've become part of a new building. And as Paul says in verse 15 of this chapter, chapter 3, you're saved into a new body. You're members of a body. And so, if all these things are true, if our identity is not just to be found in Christ, but it's in Christ as we uh, get brought into a new community, then how should we treat each other? How should we behave to each other? How, we should, how should we talk to one another? And these are the kind of things that Paul wants to address in this section of chapter 3 that we're looking at tonight. But firstly, we need to understand what our identity is and what it isn't. Uh, so we're going to have a look at how God sees us. Uh, that's verses 10 to 12. Uh, I know Libby only read from verse 12, I think, but we're going to take a little step back and have a look from verse 10. How God sees us. Now, in this chapter of Colossians, after taking two chapters to explore the superiority of Christ, how amazing he is, showing us how Christ is all we need, uh, we don't need extra human rules, no extra special experience, no um, religious alternatives, no secret messages, no hidden knowledge. Everything we need for our Christian life has been given to us in Christ. And uh, that includes a new life with him. Uh, Verse 3 says, we have died and now we have a new life with him, with Christ. And that new life involves putting off an old way of living, putting all that away. In fact, it involves putting to death, verse 5, murdering the old self, and then embracing and putting on the new self, verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so it involves leaving earthly ways of living behind us and setting our hearts and our minds on heavenly things. Verse 2, this is what we looked at last uh, Sunday evening. And that new life that we have in Christ looks completely different to our old life. Our new way of living is completely different, completely changed. It's almost unrecognisable. The old life was characterised by the things in verse 5 and verse 8. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. And then verse 8, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. And verse 9, lying to one another. That was the old life. But the new life is characterised by something entirely different. Verse 11. The old self makes distinctions between different types of people. The old self sees Gentiles and Jews. Circumcised people over here, uncircumcised people over there. Barbarians, they're the kind of uncivilized kind of people over here. Uh, Scythians, they're the really uncivilized kind of people. Probably more barbaric than the barbarians. Um, 
They can go in a group over here. The slaves can go over there and all the free people can go over there. And so the old self loves Venn diagrams. Do you know what a Venn diagram is? Where you draw these circles and then you can put, you've got a circle here. All the people that like cheese and onion can go in that circle. All the people that like prawn cocktail can go in that circle. And then when there's two circles overlap, you've got the people that like both. Crazy. But the old self loves Venn diagrams. We love putting people in whichever circle. And then everyone's happy because everyone knows who's the right sort of people to associate with and who's the wrong sort of people to be with. The old self loves league tables and rankings. So we can uh, put people on a scale. We know who's who, who's the best, who's the worst, and everyone in between. And, and the old self loves to judge all these other people. And it's just an awful lot easier to judge people if you can put a label on them. But uh, to rather paraphrase um, verse 11, uh, in the words of the Backstreet Boys, don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you're in Christ. We're not to find our primary identities in any of these categories, in any of these circles we could put people in, we're to find our primary identity in Christ. So whether that's whatever background you're from, whatever nationality you are, whatever language you have, whatever human rules and regulations you follow, all sorts of ways we like to categorize people. Verse 11 says that we're being... Uh, as we're being renewed in the image of our creator, that's Christ, those kind of things are of less and less significance. And so if we're going to draw a new Venn diagram, it's just one circle, those people that are in Christ, and then those people that are outside of Christ. And that's our identity. Christ is the only expression of identity that you need. And so... Human divisions and labels, they can be helpful sometimes to clarify as a shorthand way of, of working out what people think. But they're not really helpful when it comes to thinking about our identity as Christians. And so what is helpful? Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, notice there that we're described as being God's chosen people, not God's chosen persons, God's chosen individuals. We have been chosen individually, but we're a chosen people. And so that means that when God handpicks people, he chooses them to be part of a new family, a new group of people. He goes on to say we're described as being holy that is, we're set apart from the rest of the world and made acceptable to God. Not because we're better than anyone else, not because we're here on the league table instead of down here, but simply because, he goes on to say, we're dearly loved. The reason he's chosen us is because he loves us. That's how God sees us. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. If we're in Christ, we are those things, and they are the things that define us. That's how God sees us. And if these things are true of all Christians, 
if these things are the kind of things that define what a Christian is, as God sees them, if we believe these things are true, then it's going to have a massive impact on how we see each other. That person that you're sitting next to, if they're a Christian, is chosen, holy, and dearly loved by God. Or perhaps more likely, the person sitting the opposite side of the room from you because you can't bear to be with them for more than 30 seconds. If they are a Christian, they are also chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And so when we get so fixated by uh, with labeling people by what they do and who they spend time with and their economic status, their family situation, we often forget and sometimes even begin to deny that what God says about them is true, that they are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And so if that's how God sees us and how we should see each other, then it's going to have a big impact on how we treat each other. So let's have a look at how we should treat each other. Verse 12 to 15. What's the first thing we're to do in verse 12? First thing we're to do is to get dressed. Last week we looked at the kind of things that we're to put off, the kind of clothes that we're to take off, the, the old dead self. And this week we can see the things that we're to put on, to clothe ourselves with, the way we behave and the, the things we say and the things we do are often portrayed in the Bible as being a bit like clothing. Uh, and the clothing of the old self, the old way of life the, the before we were a Christian, although it can look quite respectable to other dead people who are still in their, their old self, their old skin, the clothing of the old self is not really very nice. Even when it looks respectable, it is actually disgusting. And in fact, our old clothes are the clothes we died in. And they're the clothes that look and smell like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Verse 8. And those things are a characteristic of how the, the old self treats other people and how the old self speaks to other people. But we're called to take those things off and get dressed in our new clothes of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another and loving one another. That's verse 12 to 14. If, verse 2 of chapter 3, if we're setting our hearts and setting our minds on the things above, on heavenly things, why on earth would you want to put your old clothes back on? If you've just had a shower after a long, hot, sweaty day digging over the garden, getting all dirty and filthy, why on earth, after you've had this shower, why on earth would you want to put your dirty, smelly, sweaty clothes back on? If you liked it all that much, why even bother having a shower in the first place? Or, to put it a different way, if you've been raised to new life with Christ, this is your resurrection life, why on earth are you going fertling about in the grave, digging up dead bodies, trying to dress yourself in putrid, foul-smelling grave clothes? 
just not fitting for a new life, a new self. We need to get dressed in clothes that are fitting for the new life. And thinking about grave clothes, think about Jesus. What did he do with his grave clothes? He left them in the tomb. They stayed there for everyone to see. He was dressed in something far better. And the tomb is where we should leave our old ways of life as well. Not to go grubbing around trying to dress up like a dead person. Uh, That should disgust us uh, in more ways than one. Instead, let's get dressed in something altogether more wholesome. We're to clothe our new selves with compassion. A heartfelt care and concern for other people. As well as compassion, we're to clothe ourselves with kindness. To not just feel good thoughts towards the people around us, not to feel compassion, merely to feel compassion, but to actually act on that and do something. Help people, be kind. And we shouldn't really need to explain these kind of things and, and define these things, should we? I think we, we all recognise what kindness looks like when we see it. But it's actually vital for the health of the church, for the, the health of the body, verse 15, that we make every effort to clothe ourselves with these things. So, going on, humility, uh, to treat each other as more significant than ourselves, to put others first. Gentleness, treating others gently as though they really are dearly loved by God. Patience, putting up with people that, that can't keep up with you. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time, I'm, I'm, I'm up here on the league table, and that person there is so far behind, oh, I just wish they'd hurry up. We're called to be patient, not demanding that things perhaps need to be done our way and need to be done now. Uh, being patient with each other helps us to bear with each other. Verse 13, to see our difficulties with each other through towards a resolution rather than just forgetting the people around us say, oh, stuff it, you can get left behind. You can get thrown under the bus, as it were. And what happens when the people around you haven't finished getting dressed yet? It can be quite frustrating when you're waiting or you're trying to get out of the house and you have a family of people that still aren't dressed yet. And you're waiting for them to even get socks on and we're late already, just get dressed, will you? What happens when the people around you are not finished getting dressed? They act like they're old selves. They, they sin against you. They frustrate you and they make life hard for you. Well, after being patience, uh, patient and bearing with one another, we're to forgive one another. Just like Jesus Christ who forgave us. Uh, remember, Throughout this book, we've been thinking a lot about Christ. Christ is all you need. Um, All our behaviors, all our attitudes flow out, not from trying to outdo other people, not from trying to get glory for ourselves, but all our behaviors, everything we do, everything we say, should be flowing out from who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And so in our new identity, in our new self, we're able to forgive if we were just living by the, uh, as chapter 2, verse 20 says, if we were just living, living by the elemental forces of this world, then we'd be 
bound to hold a grudge. We'd be bound to take revenge. But our new identity means we're able to forgive. And so as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, God has shown his grace to us in Christ. And if God has shown his grace to you, then you should be in the best place to understand how to extend that grace to others. To put it this way, God doesn't see us as enemies anymore. So how do you see the Christians around you, your brothers and sisters that have sinned against you? Uh, Do you see them as enemies? Or do you see them as brothers and sisters who have done wrong? Do you see a need for revenge? Or do you see an opportunity for forgiveness? Do you see an opportunity to lay into them with anger and rage and malice? Or do you see an opportunity to teach and admonish each other, as we see later on in the passage? So all these things that we've just gone through are bound together by love. Verse 14 Uh, So these kind of things could be summarized by just the one word. That's love. And it's like saying, without a belt on, your trousers might just fall down. And without love for each other, which acts like a belt around all these things, everything else just falls apart. So these are the kind of things that characterize our new clothes. They're they're tailor-made for our new selves. But sometimes life doesn't really fall neatly into those kind of categories. Sometimes it's unclear, perhaps, whether we really should be gentle with this person. Because maybe that person is a wolf in sheep's clothing and needs dealing with quite firmly. Uh, Sometimes it's unclear whether I'm just being patient, or maybe I'm procrastinating, or maybe I'm being lazy. So what do you do in those kind of situations? Well... We need a referee or an umpire. And in this case, that umpire is, in verse 15, the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So what's the overriding principle uh, in all our actions towards each other? Well, the overriding principle is to work towards peace with one another. So is my action, is the thing that I am desperate to do, is that going to promote peace between brothers and sisters in Christ or might it just promote bitterness and rage and anger? Are my words going to promote peace between brothers and sisters in Christ or will it promote lies and slander and even filthy language? We're to strive for peace. Not peace at all costs, but this is a peace that comes from Christ himself. Because we were called to peace. We're called as members of a new body. We we have new bodies, but we're called to a, a bigger body, a new body, the church. As we're called to be part of that body, we're called to peace. Otherwise, little toes and nostrils start fighting with each other and it ends horribly. We're to strive for peace. 
And it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So when your knee-jerk reaction is to get angry or to get bitter or to take revenge, then stop and let peace have the final say. And Christ enables this peace by breaking down those barriers and those distinctions that we were talking about earlier between the different types of people, different personality types, different characters. Christ enables peace uh, by breaking down those barriers. Christ died so that we could have that peace. And Christ himself calls us to peace because we're joined together into that one body. So strive for peace and let peace have that final word on whatever matter is in dispute. And then lastly, Paul addresses not just our attitudes and our behavior uh, to each other, he also addresses how we talk to each other, the kind of words we use to each other. Verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. We're to put away the old ways of, of speaking to one another, the, the things like lies and slander and gossip and foul language and dirty jokes. But what do we replace it with? Some of us in various social settings struggle to find certain words, certain ways of speaking to other people. Some of us are just not very good at small talk. Some of us are not very good at big talk. We sometimes just don't know the kind of things we should say. But in the church, we've been given things that we can say. Uh, we replace the old way of speaking to each other with the message of Christ, the word of God, the gospel. The things that we say and the things and the, the way we say them should be so infused with the message of Christ that it's hard to escape it. And the message of Christ should dwell among us Interesting translation in this NIV, the Church Bible. I think it used to say, and some other translations does say, dwell in you. Um, which, if you're reading it a certain way, you can then think, ah, oh, well, the word of Christ is only for me, and it's all about my quiet time, my devotion, what I'm getting out of this. But the, the way this is translated now, to say that the word of Christ, the message of Christ can dwell among you, actually says a lot more about like we're saying about the rest of this chapter, is how we relate to each other, how we speak to each other. So it is good to do your Bible readings. It is good to personally read and digest the Word of Christ. But the main reason to do that is so that you can then let it dwell among us as God's people, as the church. The message of Christ should dwell among us richly. And that word richly is interesting as well. Think about a bucket of water and a teaspoonful of Bisto. You can stir it as much as you like, but you really can't call it Bisto. You can't call it gravy because it's so watery and it's basically muddy water now. Is the message of Christ just a, a token thing that we tag onto something to make it Christian? Is it like that watery bisto that isn't really useful for anything? Or is it rich? Does it characterize everything we do as Christians? It's always so encouraging 
the, the kind of Christians I find most encouraging uh, are those that somehow seamlessly bring the conversation round to Christ at the soonest opportunity. And I know some of you are like that. It's a joy to, to spend time talking with you because it's so uplifting to share the message of Christ with each other. And so that's, that's really helpful just in our, our personal uh, conversations with each other. But also, as a church, we can be making sure that the message of Christ, that the Word of God, is actually defining and shaping and characterizing everything we do. So whether that's in the conversations that we have with each other, uh, whether that's in the preaching, whether it's in the songs that we sing, we'll have a look more on that in a minute, uh, in the children's work, in the kitchen serving drinks. Do you see that as a, an opportunity uh, for the message of Christ to dwell richly? Uh, whether you're washing up, are you serving on the tech desk? Do you see that as an opportunity to help the body of Christ dwell, no, the message of Christ dwell among the body of Christ? Whether you're cleaning the church or just chatting to people after the service, are we letting the word of God get into everything we do? Now, we, we could start getting legalistic about it, um, which would fly in the face of everything we've learned over the last few weeks. Um, we could say that every organization in the church must have a minimum 10-minute devotion at the start of every meeting, of every gathering. Uh, no one can take a cup of coffee without reciting their favorite memory verse. Uh, we could say that sermons need to be no less than 36 minutes long, including the Bible reading. Uh, all the songs we sing must explicitly mention Christ, or we must only sing psalms. But that would totally defeat the point of what Paul has been arguing about uh, throughout this book, uh, particularly in chapter 2, don't get taken captive by human rules. Instead, we're given the principle let the message of Christ dwell among you. And then we're free to work out different ways of doing that. And the purpose and the, the point of doing so is that we, we might be well taught about Christ and well taught about Christian living so that we can be thankful. It says at the end of verse 15, be thankful. And then it's bookended uh, to the end of verse 17. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So all of this is in order to make us thankful people, thankful to God, thankful to Christ for what he's done for us. So is the message of Christ going to dwell richly among us? Just as an aside, maybe if we get so used to talking about the message of Christ amongst ourselves... Uh, if that kind of way of talking becomes an ordinary way of life, maybe we won't find it quite so difficult to talk to our non-Christian friends about Christ. Maybe we might find it a little bit easier to just bring the conversation around, because we're used to it, we, we've been talking amongst ourselves. But if all we ever talk about as Christians is trivial matters, it's going to be just that little bit harder to bring anything around to the gospel with our non-Christian friends. Anyway, that's an aside. Verse 10, if we're being renewed in knowledge, 
then the words we expose ourselves to are really important. We're renewed in knowledge, and that knowledge can come through the words that we speak to each other. And so one way of, of letting the word of Christ dwell among us richly is to sing to one another. Uh, this verse 16 still. We're to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Again, that thankfulness coming through uh, yet again. So we're called to sing as Christians. Singing is great. I, I love music. I love singing. Um, some of you absolutely love singing more than I do, and some of you can't stand it. Some of you have got really nice voices, and some of you have less nice voices, and you know it, and so you're a bit timid about singing at all and joining the, the congregation when we sing our songs. But it's a, a real opportunity for us to let that message of Christ dwell among us richly. It's a really good opportunity to take truths about God, truths about Christ, and then connect them with music in a way that engages the emotions. So music, one of the roles of music is to help us feel a certain way. And if the way we feel about this particular piece of music marries up with what we're being told in that song, then that is just a, a perfect combination. Uh, one of the other things that music does is to help us memorize the Word of God. Uh, very often, you can come away from a service and you can remember the songs that were sung, and you might even be able to remember them word for word and go away singing them. But you might really struggle to remember the three points of the sermon and the, what the Bible reading was and, the, and so on like that. Singing can be a really powerful way of letting the Word of Christ dwell in us and dwell among us. And we're to sing all sorts of songs as long as they're from the Spirit, as long as they're the message of Christ, as long as the Spirit is involved drawing our attention to Christ. Remember, one of the Spirit's roles is to guide us into the truth about Christ. One of the Spirit's roles is to help us know Him more. Uh, so, so the songs we sing, whether they're psalms or hymns or spiritual songs, however you want to define those things, they all have to be pointing us to that message of Christ, helping us to love the message of Christ, helping us to love Christ himself and enjoy that message of Christ. And so we could, again, get legalistic here. Uh, we could say we need a certain quota of psalms, 33% psalms in our service, 33% hymns and 33% spiritual songs. No, we, we don't need human rules like that. But the point being that the overriding principle is that singing is partly an expression of, of thankfulness, but it's a way that the word of Christ can dwell in us and among us. Um, it's quite hard to even define biblically what a psalm and a hymn and a, a song is. Um, if you look at the book of Psalms, they're all psalms, obviously. Some of them are described as hymns. Some of them are described as songs. Some of them are described as both. And so it's not very clear. This is a psalm. This is a hymn. This is a song. How do we categorize them? But that's not the point. There are different types of song that we can sing. But these songs that we do sing, whatever we sing, 
the, the principle is that we need to use our singing to help that message of Christ dwell among us and dwell among us richly. And so we want to sing songs that are biblical. We're not going to be singing any old karaoke in our Sunday services. Um, as much as some of you might like that, uh, that's not the point. The songs we sing need to be biblical. The songs we sing also, we address to each other. Remember, this, this passage is all about how we relate to e- each other, how we treat each other and how we speak to one another. And so when we're singing, it can be very tempting to get caught up in the moment and think, yep, this, this is all about me and Jesus. But actually, it's about us and Jesus. And it's an expression of our thankfulness to God as well. So we sing to each other, but we're also singing to God at the same time. And we need to keep those things in mind. Uh, we, we need to sing with, with thankfulness. And so Paul then sums it all up by saying, whatever you do, verse 17, whether in word, the things you say, how we speak to each other, or deed, how we treat each other, do everything do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we do, we need to do it as though Christ has asked us to. Whatever we do, can, can we really say, Christ has given me the authority to do this thing? All right, we can be treading on dangerous ground then where we kind of declare that God has told me to do such and such and, and God Thus saith the Lord, I'm going to give you a message. But doing everything in the name of the Lord, we should have in mind, did Christ really want to bless this? Would Christ be pleased to bless what I'm saying? Would Christ be pleased to bless what I'm doing? Every action we take as a Christian is either something that Christ blesses or It's something that he had to die for. And that should be a really powerful thought as we make decisions about how we treat each other, what we say to each other, how we view each other. Everything we do, everything we say, is either something that Christ blesses or it's something that Christ had to die for. So would Christ be happy for me to speak like this to my Christian brother? Or did he have to die because I spoke like I just did? Let's be very careful as we sum all this up to see each other as God sees us, chosen, holy, dearly loved, to treat each other as God treats us with patience and kindness and forgiving us. And we need to be very careful to speak to each other the message of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for Christ. We've spent a lot of time over the last few weeks thinking about him, how good he is, how superior he is, how um, he's everything that we need. And we can't get enough of it. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we think about our new life in Christ, as we think about how to live, how we treat each other. We need your Holy Spirit's help because we so often 
get distracted, so often get drawn to our old grave clothes. Lord, help us to, to dress up well, to dress like Christ, and help us to help each other to do that well. Help us not to look down on those people that aren't dressed yet. Help us not to, to look down on those people that haven't got it all together. But help us to, as we lift our hearts and minds to heavenly things, help us to enjoy the body of Christ that you've called us to. Help us to enjoy each other. Help us to persevere with each other, bear with each other, and forgive each other. Help us to see our difficulties through to, a, to reconciliation. Help us to, to live godly lives with each other and before a watching world that you might be glorified. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.